Alright, hello everybody, welcome to the Wicked Side. This is Brenna, and um, I've got a special guest with me today again. I've got actually my husband. You wanna say hi? Hello everyone. So, yeah, this is Scotty. He's gonna be uh, helping me out with this episode. And um, I do have other special guests lined up for the next couple episodes. I did want to make an announcement that if you wanted to come on the show at all and uh, have me tell you a bit about history, we can do that. Um, all you have to do is message me at wickedmythpodcast at gmail.com or uh, you can always send me a message on Instagram too at the Wicked Side Podcast. All right, and then I'll happily uh, get together with you. We'll coordinate and uh, hopefully get you on the show and I'll tell you a fun story. All righty. Um, I think that's all I have for announcements right now. And then we're going to get into what we're talking about today. So I'm going to be telling Scott about boat disasters that were actually worse than the Titanic. So, and that's despite the fact that the Titanic has a lot of fame and it has a whole James Cameron movie behind it, you know. Yeah, there were other boat disasters that were way worse and had higher casualty rates, but we don't really hear about them much. And some of them we can actually go into reasons why we don't hear about them. So, all right. Oh, you're going to hear some jingle jangling in the background. That's because we're recording at my house today. And uh, so we got our puppy with us. Say say hi, Lacey. Oh, you going to say hi, Lacey? So she'll be wandering around, so you might hear a little bit of that. You ready? Yep, let's go. All right. So um, the Titanic happened April 14th in 1912 and had about approximately 1,500 passenger deaths. Of course, the cause was an iceberg. That's a story pretty well known. But the actual worst uh, maritime disaster in history was a ship called the Wilhelm Gustloff. Not German. I know I didn't pronounce that right. I apologize. So, um, this happened January 30th of 1945, and there were approximately 9,000 deaths in that case. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Way, way more than the Titanic. And you'll notice when I, when I tell you about the second one, way, way more than the second one even. So... In the spring of 1945, around 10,000 refugees and soldiers were aboard the William Gustav, uh, named after a Nazi, as part of an evacuation from German troops from East Prussia after Soviet troops moved in. As they fled back to Germany, a Soviet submarine torpedoed the ship in the Baltic Sea. Most of the casualties happened during the initial blast. Okay, and we're back. So, sorry about that. We had to take a short break because the dog got tangled in one of the wires and almost pulled the mic off. <laughs> so, yeah, crisis averted. Scott put her in her kennel for a little bit. And now she's giving us big, sad puppy eyes. So, <laughs> don't worry. She very rarely goes in there. Happened in the initial blast, but most of, but also contributing, I should say, to the loss of life was the fact life preservers were actually frozen to the deck. And, of course, that didn't help. This was considered the deadliest disaster in history, obviously. However, it's just not really known much about, you know? And a, it's probably because it was full of German soldiers, you know? And despite the fact it was this big, awful, terrible disaster, and a lot of civilians died in it, um, we're talking refugees from 
East Prussia, Lithuania, Latvia, Poland, and Estonia were all on board. So men, women, and children, civilians. Probably most of them farmers, you know, incredibly. But we don't hear about it, and I and I genuinely do think it's because, you know, nobody really wants to talk about the losses and the casualties that happened on the German side, you know? I think it makes it harder, because bad guys. Plain and simple bad guys. Yeah, it's really easy to think that Yeah, and because and of peop- the, the misdeeds of, of people, that all people get vilified. Yeah, one regime kind of led to a whole populace, you know, which, yeah, it's sad. Oh, I'm going to have to edit that later, and I already know I'm going to be irritated at myself. I wanted to punch myself in the face last time I edited because I didn't realize how many times I said, um, (laughs) or, but yeah, I had to edit so much of that out because I don't have Nigel anymore. So I had to do it myself and, uh, yeah, I never wanted to kick my own ass more. (laughs) So, uh, they said that out of the 10,000 passengers, 9,000 of them died. So approximately only a thousand people survived out of 10,000. That's a huge loss. It's mostly believed that this story isn't really told or isn't really well-known. More so, I'm guessing, in America. It's probably more well-known in Europe. But it's not really told much in America, and it is literally the deadliest maritime disaster. That's very... I don't know. It was kind of shocking for me to find out that, that something that big had happened, and I had never heard of it, you know? I'd heard of the Titanic, which was significantly smaller, no. But not the the Wilhelm um, Gustloff. Which, shout out to my uh, mom's husband, Ron, because that's the only way I knew how to pronounce Wilhelm. <laughs> so, thanks, Ron. The ship of uh, the next ship, the second one, second most deadly, I should say, is the MV Dona Paz, December 20th of 1987. So, this is a year after I was born. 4,386 approximate deaths. Although that sounds like a really specific number, so I don't know. Maybe the records were a little better. The cause was a collision with an oil tanker. This is considered the deadliest peacetime maritime disaster in history. At this time, the ship was ferrying passengers from Layette Island to the Philippine capital of Manila. It It happened at night, so the majority of the passengers, unfortunately, were asleep. While the ship, uh, the ferry, collided with the oil tanker, the Vector. The Vector was carrying about uh, 8,800 U.S. barrels of gasoline and other petroleum products. Upon collision with the deadly cargo, it ignited, which spread to the Donopaz, and the ferry sank within two hours of the collision. The tanker itself took four hours. There was almost a 16-hour delay before help arrived. By the time they did, only 26 survivors were rescued, 24 were passengers for the Dona Paz, and two were from the Vector, of the Vector's 13-member crew. So, yeah. Also, this is a common theme I found, too, with a lot of these disasters. The Dona Paz was way over its rate for how many passengers it should have had. So, there was officially only 1,403 passengers on board, although because they had so many there that weren't mm. supposed to be and weren't on record. Yeah, I don't know that it wasn't just the better kept records as much as probably, they probably just don't didn't know how many refugees they had on that boat. 
You know, they well, probably this one doesn't just, have refugees. It was just no, no, a no. Ferry. I mean, the from the first one. Oh, from the Wilhelm. Yeah, because okay. I mean, you're loading people in a hurry. You're trying to get yourself out of a place. Yeah. In a rush, I doubt they were. Somebody was standing there, counting you know, every head, <laughs> writing down every name, and counting every head that got on. Yeah, that's probably true. This um, this theme of of ships being overloaded is really common in many of these disasters. I, I'm still kind of like. I'm sure to us, this sounds like a huge deal. Why does this keep happening over and over again? But it makes me think if it's one of those things that like people that are actually in the shipping industry are just like, oh, no, it happens all the time. And most of the time it's all fine. But then you have cases like this where it's like, well, obviously it's not because Mm. when things go wrong, they go really wrong. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they become much more deadly. It's not like we had a small fire and we put it out and, you know. Yeah. It's like we had a small fire and we had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. This next one, the third one, I couldn't find much about. I know this was a Chinese vessel that was loaded with refugees. It had 2,150 passengers officially listed, but there were many more on board and there were also stowaways because it was basically trying to evacuate people the ship was legally only supposed to hold 1186 so it was very overloaded it's believed this ship hit a mine that the japanese imperial navy left behind during world war ii the majority of those on board like i said were refugees fleeing the chinese civil war and unfortunately that's really all i could find the ship i'm gonna try to say it i apologize in advance please don't come at me, (laughs) was the SS Kayang, I believe. And this happened uh, December 4th of 1948. The death toll was 3,920. They're not even sure if it was a mine that caused the explosion, but they do know it was an explosion. But they believe the most likely cause was a leftover Japanese mine, which wouldn't surprise me if anybody's heard our season opener episode. Of uh, Unit 731, I think. Yeah. The Japanese did a lot of awful things to the Chinese. It kind of seems like one last parting shot. No. We kind of cleaned up our mess. (laughs) Yeah, no, they didn't. (laughs) Not at all. The fourth one was the Jula, which happened September 26th of 2002. So that one wasn't that long ago at all. Death toll was... 1,863, and the cause was because it was overloaded. Yeah, by a lot. This one is really sad because most of the dead are children on their way to school. And this one only happened because the boat was overloaded. It was a ferry. It was only supposed to have a capacity of 550. It was later learned that over 700 people that were not listed on the passenger list were also on board. Apparently, this is often done. Yeah, the boats are commonly overloaded. And the boat was a Senegal boat in origin traveling down the Gambian River. The boat capsized after being after hitting rough waters because a sudden storm came on. And it sounds like, from everything that I read, that these boats were made to go through these storms just fine. However, because it was so very overloaded, it couldn't do what it needed to do. Couldn't function properly. Yeah. And it rolled over and sank to the very to the bottom of the river. And what's more surprising to me, and I think I brought this up to you during my research as you were passing me by, is that it wasn't an old ship. It was built in nineteen ninety. 
So the ship was only 12 years old when it sank. Yeah, so it's doubtful that it was age or, or malfunction. It just... You, human the, error? Yeah, human error. Things are only designed to do a certain job, and when you task them out to, to out try and do more, you can't rely on yeah. what you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, they're supposed to function a certain way. Yeah. You know? It's, a, it's like the people that go to make something, and you've probably had this, you build models all the time, and they don't follow the instructions, or they don't really know what they're doing and they just kind of charge in and they think everything is going to be fine and it's like why would you think that i'll never understand that mindset you know read the directions oh my favorite one is well we've done this before yeah oh god i love that one and it's (laughs) that has been the leading line in so many disasters it's not even funny well we've done it 50 times before and it wasn't a problem yeah yeah you know well okay and this was more for when i worked for the airline industry. I've had to argue with so many people about this because you're not supposed to bring brachiosphatic dogs on airplanes because they already have a hard enough time breathing, but then you're going to take them up on a plane and it gets even harder. And so many dogs have been injured or died because of this. The argument I get from dog owners is, well, I've done it before and it's always been fine. You've gotten lucky. You've rolled the dice and your dog happened to survive your stupidity. That's it. And there's so many people that make this argument and it's always the same type of dog owner. The, I love my dog. They're my baby. But I'm not going to do basic things to make sure they stay healthy or care for them because that inconveniences me. And I don't want to be bothered with that. I want to look a certain way and my dog is an accessory. So I'm going to put them at risk so I can keep them as an accessory. And it's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. Also, for those listening, I am not a fan of pugs or people who breed pugs because they are deliberately breeding a dog to an aesthetic that they find cute and the dog is suffocating its whole life. I don't understand how you can just ignore suffering because you think something's cute. And they're not cute. They're not cute. They, they're not, they, they suffocate when they walk and they snot everywhere. They snot, they drool. And wasn't it you who told me that like, if they run into walls, their eyes can pop out? Yep. Yeah. No, I don't get that. I don't get why we as humans do that. Their eyes can pop right out of the socket. It's disturbing. Yeah. To think about. I've never seen it happen. Thank God. I don't want (laughs) to. I don't want to see it happen. I don't even want to think about it happening. No. It just sounds weird. It does. Terribly. For the next one. This one I have a little more information on because this is something we've already kind of talked about before. And I know you've watched the video with me, I think. It was on Fascinating Horror, the YouTube channel we both really, really like. Fascinating Horror talked about the Halifax disaster. And this ties into the fifth most deadly uh, maritime accident. The ship is the Mont Blanc. The date is December 6th, 1917. And the deaths are an estimated 1,800 to 2,000. And the cause is a collision and explosion. This disaster, it, this is one that I, I have a whole lot of problem with just because there is so many casualties. It spread so far and it, it just, it took out and leveled a town. 
I would like to do, I would, pr- I'll probably do a more in depth on this particular disaster later because there's so much to cover. I've only really got Cliff Notes version of the whole thing, but I could easily do a whole episode well, on this. With this one, it, it occurred so close to shore. Yeah. And it doesn't just involve the people on the boat. Yeah, it involved the town. It involved the town as well, which, I mean, you can kind of consign it to sometimes. When you get in a car, if you get in a car accident and you get injured, it's terrible and it's horrible. But mm-hmm. you were in a car and you kind of knew the... The risks. Yeah, you knew the risks of being in the car. And to me, it's like getting on a boat. You know, you know the risks. Okay, if the boat sinks, it might go down. Mm-hmm. I'm accepting some sort of risk here. This happened so close to shore that and involved people that just didn't. They were at home. Yeah, they were at home or running to work or whatever they were doing in the Mm -hmm. midst of their day. And then all of a sudden it was just over in a blink. Yeah. So basically what happened uh, December 6th of 1917. And you got to remember this is during uh, World War One. The boat Mont Blanc was in Halifax Harbor and it had been held overnight or was waiting to get into Halifax Harbor. And then another boat called the Emo, which was carrying soldiers, supplies, ammunition, that had been stalled overnight. At a certain time at night, every night, the town raised what they called submarine nets to prevent German submarines from getting into the harbor. So if you were inside or outside while they raised those nets, that's where you were staying. And unfortunately, that's kind of what happened in this case, is the email was delayed because they had to stay overnight, and the Halifax, or the um, the uh, Mont Blanc was held on the other side and couldn't enter the harbor. They had to stay outside overnight, which I'm sure is dangerous in and of itself during wartime. You know, mm. just outside of a safe harbor has to be a little butthole clenching. <laughs> I can't think of anything else to say with that, but... Um, when they lowered the next morning, the email wanted to book out of there. And there was a large opening for the harbor and then a very narrow area that they literally called the Narrows that launched out into the sea. So you had to go through the Narrows to get to the sea. And the collision took place in the Narrows. Uh, the emo, the captain of the emo, was actually had ordered the boat to speed through. They had dodged two other ships, almost hitting them. And it put them on a direct collision with the Mont Blanc. The ships actually saw each other from a distance. Both were like, hey, bud, get out of the way. For whatever reason, this time the Emo didn't go around. And this was the one ship they should have because the Mont Blanc was actually carrying explosives. A lot of explosives. And this deadly game of chicken ended with a collision between the two ships. The Mont Blanc's crew pretty quickly realized that they had to abandon ship. They also realized, crap, this thing is full of explosives. We need to warn as many people as we can. And they were trying. So as they were getting off the ship, they were screaming at people that had come around to witness what happened. Because, you know, rubbernecking was has always been a thing humans are great at. Yeah. You know? And then people just lived close. So if you hear a huge crash like that, and I imagine, like, the sound of the colliding metal is quite unnerving. Yeah, sure they were blowing horns at each other, trying to... Yeah. Yep, and then shouting and things like that. Yeah, you're going to run to your window and look out it and see what the heck is going on. Mm. And, yeah, many people did exactly that. But unfortunately, because of all the noise and the confusion and the chaos, a lot of the sailors' warnings were just kind of lost. Pixie, what are you doing? <laughs> a rabbit. 
we have a rabbit named Pixie, and usually he's very quiet, but he's over there being uh, a little bit noisy right now. <laughs> what you doing, baby? He's spoiled. He is very spoiled. So the Mont Blanc actually drifted for a while, and it drifted and beached on the Halifax side of the Narrows. There was another town on the other side called Dartmouth, but it beached on the Halifax side and eventually, of course, exploded. So at 9.04 a.m., it exploded and the blast destroyed everything within a mile and a half radius. A gun from the deck of the Mont Blanc was actually launched over three miles away. The blast instantly killed around 1,600 people. Fires began breaking out all over town, not just because of the blast, but because the force of the blast also like knocked over lamps. It knocked over stoves. It knocked over lots of things that contained fire. So they started, fire started breaking out in houses even outside of the blast zone. The pictures, if you ever get a chance, Google the pictures because it's devastating buildings that that were outside of the blast radius were still destroyed by the shock wave you know the damage just rippled all the way through and they they said that the whole of nova scotia heard it heard the explosion which i can only imagine i mean that's a whole ship carrying explosives rescue was initially delayed because again this was wartime so the soldiers instead of immediately going to to start rescue rescue efforts. Yeah, they went to their post thinking it was an attack. They didn't initially realize that it was just an accident. And they, it took several hours for them to realize and get everything together and and to go start helping people. This was just a whole theater of disasters because it also caused, the explosion also caused a wave which gave like a mini tsunami which also took out people and, and killed, yeah. So you survive the initial blast, only be taken out by a tsunami. Or your building initially survives the blast, only to be taken out by a small tsunami. And then it gets worse. Because the next day, a blizzard hit the town. Which slowed down and halted rescue efforts. And it also slowed down and halted um, anybody trying to send aid to the town yeah, any at aid the time. Yeah, coming through would be... Yeah. Uh, over four inches of snow were dumped overnight, and it just stopped everything. So it it was literally worst case scenario after worst case scenario for these poor people. It's awful. You mind you were already suffering through being you know involved near the theater of World War One. Yeah, and then to go through th- this huge explosion, the initial shell shock from that, you know, and all of the the awful things you're seeing as far as just the horror that explosions cause your family your business your home all leveled and then you can't even get help or aid because a blizzard decided to interfere it was like mother nature was just like i'm gonna be an absolute bitch today for no reason so these poor people, they just couldn't catch a break. Unfortunately, the Mont Blanc was, was largely blamed, despite the fact the emo was speeding. Mostly because the crew of the emo all died. So, it, and they were soldiers during wartime. You know, I don't think anybody wanted to criticize too heavy there. Yeah. And the French vessel, the Mont Blanc, was just a little, an easier target, I think. And people were mad. 
and understandably so, and they wanted that was the one that somebody to pay. And you know. yeah, well, and the um, sailors of the Mont Blanc had had fled. They had I don't want to say fled, but they had uh, evacuated. You know, because they knew it was going to explode. Yeah. And they tried to warn people, but it was kind of because they survived, they got the blame, which wasn't I don't feel at all fair. No. You know. Uh, the, the game of chicken shouldn't have happened. One of them should have tried to move. I don't know why neither one of them tried to move, especially with the emo had, had already dodged two other ships. Yeah, we don't know the size difference either of the, well, these we two. Well, we do, but I don't have them listed. Yeah. <laughs> but we do. It's well documented. But yeah. It... I mean, honestly, I guess the smaller boat should always give way to a larger one because, you know, just sheer. I don't know. Sheer mass, I, d- but... I do know that they said that they had enough time to see each other. They had enough time to react and respond. But for whatever reason, they didn't. I think they both expected the other one to get out of the way. No. And that's just not how it went. Yeah, the three people were initially charged, one of them being the captain of the Mont Blanc. Uh, But no charges were actually ever brought against them. And it was later ruled in 1919 by a Supreme Court that both ships were to blame. Um, and there is sort of one heroic legend that kind of rose from all of this. And I, I do really want to go... Uh, on about him a little bit just because it's one of those stories that I just love the if anybody knows me they know I don't really believe in heroes I just believe in people and sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong and on this particular day you know I believe actions can be heroic and these actions were heroic so this man's actions have actually kind of catapulted him into a legendary status as they should Uh, he saved untold amounts of lives like we have no way of calculating how many lives he saved you know which is sort of the the you know because it was prevented patrick vincent coleman he worked for the rail station and a sailor ran up to him and some other workers at the rail yard and told him or told all of them what was going on and told them you guys need to evacuate now because this thing is going to explode you need to run as fast as you can and get out of here and instead of running away coleman ran back he ran specifically to the communications to send messages and this is what he sent hold up the train ammunition ship a fire in harbor making for pier six and will explode Guess this will be my last message. Goodbye, boys. Uh, They believe this message was particularly meant for one train in particular that was incoming that had a passenger load of over 300 people. But because other trains and ships heard it, they were able to divert away with passenger loads. And they were also starting outside rescue efforts because they heard this message. So again, there's just really no way to calculate just how many lives he saved. To this day, they actually have his pocket watch at the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic in Nova Scotia. The blast was so powerful that it blew the the hands off his pocket watch. Wow. Yeah. They have that, and they actually have the telegraph key that he used to send the message. And both are in the museum. But as he predicted, he unfortunately did not survive. And there is actually a song about him. Uh, I found out recently. One of my friends commented on Facebook when I had posted about this guy in particular. Yeah, he's got a whole uh, folk ballad about him, which I think is very cool. Yeah. Because he should. And then for my next one, 
This one I actually knew a little bit about. This one was a steamer during the Civil War. Um, the SS Sultana. The SS Sultana sank April 27th of 1865 and had a casualty rate of approximately 1,600. The Civil War had come to an end. Union soldiers were trapped in Confederate prisons and they were finally being freed and set home. So unfortunately, the ship was full of POWs. And it's like... I. It's one of those things where it's like people have just been through a lot and life just decides to kick them in the balls a little more. Yeah. You know, it's like when you hear about people that like survived 9-11 and then died in another disaster later. It, It's heartbreaking. It's like, really? Should, yeah. They should have nothing exciting ever happen to them again. <laughs> they should just be allowed to live in boring happiness. But unfortunately, that's just not the way the world works. One would hope. Yeah, it's considered the deadliest maritime disaster to ever happen on American soil, it says, but I, I'm thinking more American waters. waters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the ship was also, of course, carrying a lot of civilians, over 2,000 passengers at the time, which, again, was way over the legal limit for how many the ship should have been carrying. It's actually six times over the legal capacity. The steamboat was headed north along the Mississippi River and exploded in the middle of the night and burned until morning. It's crazy. Yeah. And although there was no proof, of course, a lot of people believed that the Confederate Army blew up the ship, thinking the war was not yet over. But there's no real proof to this. In fact, from everything I've heard, it was more the ship's boilers, because it was a steamship, that sort of had a malfunction um, or weren't maintained I properly. Heard all the conspiracy theories on this one in the past. Yeah, I, I I've heard of this this particular one, and there was conspiracies and people trying to prove that it was you know continuation of war and that they didn't want to let the POWs go in the first place. So mm-hmm. it, there's so many tales, but of course very very little proof of anything either way, other than the boilers malfunctioning and blowing up, but not as to the cause of what the malfunction was. Yeah, and that's that's what I've always heard too. Because I this is one this is the donut pads I have heard of before because that was awful. Yeah. Um. And again, that was a ferry. It was civilians. It was just everyday people going about their lives. Yeah. But it was, this one was the other one that I heard about, and yeah, that that's largely what I've heard too. Is that it was just the boilers, and it was just a very unfortunate and sad accident. And unfortunately, the the targets were people who had already suffered quite a bit. No. So, but yeah, that's what I had. Those disasters more deadly than the Titanic. And unfortunately, I, I don't know why some of them, like especially steamboat, I think would make an interesting story. But the Halifax disaster. That one seems like it would make an interesting. That one, yeah. I don't know why there's not a movie made of that already. Because holy crap. Yeah, we we've had. There's so much involved in, in that. Yeah, in the past of lesser known, I think, disasters that... Mm-hmm. But that one's just... I kind the of... The amount of normal people that got that were involved in that, that lost their lives, like I said, is, is crazy to me. I mean, you take your... You know getting on a boat, like getting in a car or getting on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. you you accrue some sort of, you know, if something bad happens, you were kind of in the line of fire and you knew you were Acceptable risk. Yeah, yeah, it's an acceptable risk. But for those people that just lived around that harbor, why would you ever think waking up that day that, you know, something was going to come in and level the town and, and wash 
friends and family out to sea and, mm-hmm. and just the, the atrocity that happened. I mean, I know it's still maybe a little bit because it's wartime, but still just the, the loss of civilian life of people that had nothing to do with either yeah. one of those boats. Yeah, of, of their lives, of their businesses, of their homes. Yeah. Just everything. Everything. Most most maritime so, accidents you think of not happening anywhere near shore, but... Well, there are two things, too, about that that I didn't talk about that I, I remember from my research. One of them I know you're going to like, um, because it actually has to do Boston. Sports for you, anyway. Yeah. It's not sports related in this case. But Boston actually sent so much aid to Nova Scotia during this time that Nova Scotia sends them a Christmas tree every year. <laughs> that's um, That's awesome. And then eight. So, yeah, and it still goes on today, from what I understand. They still do this as uh, thanks to Boston for all the aid. So, way to go, Boston. Um, but the other thing that kind of happened from this is because so many people ran to their windows to see that was going on, and then the explosion occurred. So many people, I mean, glass shards right in the eyes. Yeah. You know, a lot of people lost their vision, lost their sight. A lot of people were injured in life altering ways. And that's, I think, something we don't think about. No. You know, we get so focused on the casualties that we forget that there are, there are people that... That survived this. Yeah. But who but are never going to be the same yeah. again. You they know? survived, but not whole. Well, I don't want to say that because there's still people, you know, and, yeah, and I don't want to degrade that. But they, they came out very changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we forget that. We just kind of lose perspective, you know? No. But it actually did cause a whole lot of schools and aid to be kind of directed at people with visual impairments. So more schools and associations popped up in order to help people with visual impairments and, you know, teach them, educate them, and uh, help them move forward with their lives. And I, I thought that was really kind of nice, too. No. Uh, it's a huge reason why there was so much more effort put into this particular uh, disability or impairment. But yeah, I thought that was kind of a, a nice little sidebar. I thought you'd really like the Boston thing. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so for those that, that don't know, my husband is a sports fan. Baseball. He likes sports balls. <laughs> I don't know much about it. <laughs> Him and my son talk to me frequently about it, and I just kind of stare blankly at them and smile and nod. Smile and nod. Smile and nod. <laughs> But yeah, what are your favorite teams? Oh, so many. I I don't pick a team anymore. I mean, I grew up in the Detroit area, grew up in Michigan, so I can always claim all the Detroit teams, but it's never just those. Yeah. You know, I enjoy watching baseball and unless it's the Yankees. <laughs> Not Sorry. a Yankees fan. Sorry. All right. Just like the Yankees. I don't know how controversial that's going to be on a history podcast, but I I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I think you'll be fine. But you also uh you do models, you do car models. Car models. Very detailed, gorgeous car models. Automotive persons forever. Yeah. That's my thing. I like cars. Things with motors. Pulling things apart. Taking things apart, putting them back together. (laughs) Did you get in trouble for that? A lot. Yeah? As a a kid? A lot. What was the worst one? Um, I had taken apart some things of my father's and then didn't quite get them back together functioning correctly. And when he attempted to use them, they did not work. Oh, what were these things? Um, the... Does he know about it? Yeah. Okay. from when I was a kid. Okay. Um, the lawn tractor, a couple different things. Just, a whole lawnmower? Yeah, I took it apart. Not completely, just partially. Mm-hmm. I was interested. I was curious. I didn't know how it worked, and I wanted to figure it out, and mm-hmm. he wasn't around to answer questions, so I went about it the only way I knew how. So yeah. Taking things apart okay. until he figured out how it works. 
So when your daughter does stuff like this, you're not at all surprised, are no. you? Yeah. I knew a little bit. Well, you did that too with uh, Nathan. Yeah. Your nephew. Yes. Yeah. What did you do there? Um, I bought him his my first Craftsman tool set, and he took stuff apart at my sister's house. To which I got a phone call that I needed to come help put things back together. <laughs> if I believe right, he took almost all the doors off the cabinets in the he, kitchen. Most of the hardware. Most of the, the hardware. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, all these years later, it still makes me giggle. Oh, it makes me think of the paint incident with Sorsha. Uh-huh. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. That we had just moved into a place and it wasn't nice and we were trying to make it nicer and the her room was big bird yellow it was awful so we had to get a primer yep and we went to paint and i thought i had closed everything apparently i did not leave it to the three-year-old to figure out that we hadn't yeah well she had been asleep on the couch she was taking a nap on the couch um watching you know pbs i think at the time and i was in the kitchen making lunch and I hear this noise and I go back and I find my baby covered like head to toe in paint, paint all over the floor, paint all over the furniture. She had tried to help apparently and you didn't know, help just natural at all. What's in here? I remember panicking cause I wasn't sure if she swallowed any. So I called poison control and I was like, what should I do? And they're like, do you think she swallowed any? And I'm like, I don't know. There's none around her mouth. And they're like, well then she's probably fine. <laughs> the lady on the phone was so patient with me. Cause I was, I was a fair, you know, I, this is my, my child, my three-year-old. And I was a panicking mother. I didn't know what to do. And she was very sweet. I'll never forget how very nice she was. And she's like, I think she's okay, dear. Just calm down. (laughs) I was not calm. I remember how unhappy she was with being constantly bathed, like for a week straight, because we were still getting paint out of her hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got most of it off of her body, but like her hair... Yeah. Oh, that took forever. I think she picked it up and just poured it over her head. I, I That's what I kind of think happened, too, the way it was on the floor and everything. But then, And that's not even the worst source of disaster. The, the flour, when you were making pancakes and she figured out if she hit both sides of the bag, the cloud of flour would come out and we couldn't get her to stop doing it. No. Oh, my God, that was awful awful because you had to try to sweep it up but that didn't get most of it and if you try to use water you just made paste yep it oh that was a nightmare but then she did the same thing with baby powder too yep. several times so yeah i remember her running through the house once without a diaper on swinging the pa- the, the uh baby powder. baby powder bottle around and yeah. just powdering everything uh, oh gosh that makes me like Aiden didn't do too much of that for us. He was usually pretty good. But one of my favorite stories about Aiden is the uh, the time at Walmart during the summer. Oh, and the lady, the little lady calling him. Yeah. Saying he was a cute little girl. Yeah. So Aiden is he's very handsome, of course, you know, being his mom, I'm a little biased, but I think my son's gorgeous and yeah. nothing will ever change that. <laughs> but. Yeah, when he was very little, you said you had taken him to Walmart. It was summer. It was summer, and he was wearing nothing but a diaper. Yeah, because it was like, that was when we were having, like, it was like 110. You got to bear in mind, my son used to have these long ringlet curls. Mm -hmm. And we just didn't get his hair cut for a long time because 
It was beautiful. You had beautiful hair. Yeah. You know, and... And long eyelashes, which yeah. both you and him have, and I am insanely jealous of, because I have to pay for long, dark eyelashes. But I had taken him, and this lady walks by and goes, what a cute little boy. Or cute, or little, a cute girl. little girl. And I said, yeah. and of course, I roll my eyes. I'm like, thank you, because I've heard this a million times. He's not a little girl. He's wearing blue. And or, you know, had, I think he had a... Uh, Batman diapers on or something. I don't know. Not something that it that, mattered. Not though. that it, it mattered. wasn't a huge deal anyway. Or and worth I was just correcting. Like, okay, thank you. Not worth correcting a stranger I don't know over. Yeah. And then so I went down the other aisle and I'm looking at something and I walk by and she goes, "Oh my!" And he had stood up in the cart and taken his diaper off. To which I just looked at her and went, "Nope, he is not a little girl." In fact. Yeah. And now I've got to go buy a pack of diapers. <laughs> Apparently, he was going to prove it. <laughs> so yeah. And that's, that is just Aiden. He does lots of little quiet things. He's not loudly rebellious ever, you mm. know. But every now and then he'll do something quietly and it's like, son. <laughs> He's a good kid, though. We, we got blessed. We have, we have really good kids. Both of them. Yes, and of course they both like to argue with me. And Oh, yeah. Both of them. And it's hilarious that they do the same thing to you. Yep. Um... Aiden used to do this all the time. He would start an argument with Scotty about something ridiculous. And random. And random. And he knew he was wrong, but the whole point was just to start an argument with his dad. So he would say something like, the sky is purple, daddy. And Scott would go, no, the sky is blue. And he'd go, no, the sky is purple. And they would go back and forth for a while. And finally, Scott would be like, you know, this battle isn't worth fighting. So sure, the sky's purple. And then Aiden would immediately go, no, daddy, the sky's blue. <laughs> just to watch my ears turn red. Yeah. Yeah. Because you were, you were just like, okay, I'm just letting this go. And then he would immediately say the thing that would hype you back up again. And now Sorsha does the same thing. The same exact thing. <laughs> the exact same thing. Eight years later, same result. Oh, God. And she's so good at it. And now, but now she does it in general. So if you say, ugh, I hate that, Sorsha's immediate response is, but I love that. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Yep. She'll say that. You Just be talking about hating the rain and she'd be like, oh, I love it. Yeah. And she doesn't. So I do. I love the rain. But okay. Well, thank you so much for, you know, recording with me today, babe. I Not appreciate it. We'll I love it you. later. Yeah. 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 Different okay. subject. Different subject. <laughs> All right. Well, um, just to remind everybody, you can follow me on Instagram at Wicked Myth or the Wicked Side Podcast. I'm also on Facebook, still at Wicked Myth. I'm working on it. I'm thinking at this point, I'm just going to make a new page and be done with it. Um, but yeah, if you want, send me an email and or a message on Instagram if you're interested in um, guest hosting on the show. And I'll tell you a fun little bit about history. And usually what I'll do is I'll show you a list and you even get to pick what you want. Or if you have something in mind, I'll happily look it up or we could discuss it together. Or you could tell me something. So whatever works. All right. I look forward to uh, hearing any and all responses. And I'm excited to uh, take the podcast in this direction. I've got some great guest hosts lined up. I'm really excited. Um for some of the future things that are going to be coming out. I hope you guys are too. You know, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think we're going to learn a lot. And, uh, 
it's just going to be a different different direction for the podcast, but I think a good direction for the podcast. So thank you all for listening. I appreciate you guys coming back. Hopefully you learned something today and hopefully you enjoyed it. And uh, thank you once again, Scotty. I love you. <laughs> you too. Come back and listen. Please. And we'll see you on the other side. Bye.